Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Strange Eden by Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. It was first published in Imagination Stories of Science and Fantasy, December 1954. Um, this magazine uh, had a series of covers that were unrelated to the stories inside, but were always sort of fantastic little comedies with uh, with a beautiful woman in some sort of ridiculous situation. Uh, I don't know if I would have been buying it from the, the newsstand, but it had a Philip K. Dick story in it, so I would be excited about that, I guess, at the time. And um, I I wanted to just read the editorial introduction that uh, is on the table of contents page, because I haven't included that in our PDF yet, but I, I will revise that. Um, it says, Brent only wanted to look around the planet. The trouble was, he looked too far. Very simple. And then there's another one on the the actual. Um, do, you, do you mind my saying? I think that that's also inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, okay. Uh, what about the one on uh, page 67? What do you think about that? The editorial introduction there. Johnson wanted to leave the verdant world, but Brent was bound to have a look around. He did, and he found a reason to stay. Unluckily, uh, I think that one is closer to to the story. Mm. Um, doesn't really give I, you the sense, though, of the story, does it? No, it doesn't. But I think it's closer. Um, I'd like I'd like to explain why, but I'd like to to give us any more background about it that that you uh, want to, Jesse. Okay. Well, um, normally with Philip K. Dick stories, we get uh, PKD's own thoughts on. There's a website called uh, Philip K. Dick Fans that gathers up all his letters and introductory material that might have been in a later publication. This one didn't get a later publication until, uh, you know, all of his stories got started to get collected. Um, I don't think people think it's of it very highly. I think the review, even on the Philip K. Dick fans page, gave it like two out of five stars or something like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's his best either, but I think that the problems with it are caused by two issues. One is... I don't think most people who have read it get it, because <laughs> I didn't get it right away, and that happens a lot with Philip K. Dick stories of this period, very early 50s. Um, and then I think the, the issue he's tackling is very internal to him, and unless you are like him somehow, then it just won't resonate. And that's sort of what I was getting with you know looking at other people's reviews of it. Is they 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 see yeah this is what it is and then they don't think about it much after that. But I think he's really tackling a very personal issue for him, and and he is a strange writer. We've read his stuff before, uh, including um, one that I think is very much tied up with this one um, called Beyond Lies the Wub. We read that for this podcast. Um, and that one at least has it, it more slightly more explicit of uh, what he's tackling. And that was his first published story. But I think he he eventually goes away from what he's doing here. And um, and I I just I still find it interesting, even though 
Um, it's not. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks it's his best story. Huh. Um, I don't think it's his best story, but I am willing to hypothesize or entertain the hypothesis that the reason that I don't think it's his best story or a reason that I don't think it's his best story is that it's a Philip K. Dick story. (laughs) And Philip K. Dick has a, a quirky folded look way of looking at the universe where things interpenetrate and and happen mm-hmm. strangely and and boundaries are crossed in ways that um are philosophically unsettling you know is it human is it not human uh what's a machine and so on uh, boundaries are crossed in this but it's not so much a crossed boundary as a simple transformation. This is much more like Ovid than it is like Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that one of the reasons that I didn't read it and think, hmm, um, this isn't his greatest, and, and thought this is not his greatest story, one of the reasons that I was expecting it to be a Philip K. Dick story, when I reread it, in fact, I liked it better. Yeah. And so that makes me want to ask, um, so let me give a quick summary of the plot, just to make sure we're talking Mm -hmm. about the same thing. And then I have a question for you based on what you reported from other readers' reactions. Um, The story opens at the portal of an exploratory ship that has landed on a small planet, presumably the one called, that is referenced by the title, A Strange Eden. Um, The... The captain is uh, almost stereotypically uh, intellectual, big glasses, slight of frame, somewhat timid. Uh, But he is the captain, so something must be right about him, Um, at least as far as the organization that supports the building of great big phallic rockets. Um, Brent is his sole crew person and clearly his subordinate in terms of institutional structure, but he is large, hairy, huge arms. He's described almost as if he were a gorilla. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when they look out the portal, standing there looking out at it, and they can breathe quite comfortably, um, it's just goes endlessly, endlessly green, green trees and so on. But there seems to be a path down below and Brent is committed to going out and following the path. Captain Johnson, he's not sure they want to do that. Anyway, Brent goes off. He thinks, great, I can do some um, hunting maybe or at least have some sport. He comes upon um, a sleeping huge lion-like creature, uh, twice the weight of a man, we're told, which frankly doesn't strike me as big for a lion because lions are already twice the weight of a man. But anyway. Uh, We're told it's the size of a rhinoceros, um, and it's sleeping. And he's about to shoot it when walking by him, from behind him on the path, come two more of these lion creatures. And they just sort of glance over their shoulder at him and go on. And he uh, thinks, oh, my goodness, they could have ripped me to shreds. What am I doing here? So he lowers his gun, and he keeps walking down the path gingerly to find out what's going on. He's annoyed to discover up on a hill a beautiful, wealthy-looking mansion. Um, He's annoyed because 
he's thinking, hey, you know, we can commercialize this place. It'll be a great getaway for really rich people. We'll claim the whole planet. We'll subdivide it and set uh, set uh, uh, leases and just have the right people here. Now, I have to say, this is 1954, Jesse, and when I read Brent's commercializing frame of mind and his willingness to to clutter up Eden. There had been a lot of discussion back and forth about how if if it were closer to where humanity normally hangs out, it would already be littered with plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't help but think of Sam Parkhill in that chapter called Off Season in the Martian Chronicles, mm-hmm. which is published in 1950. And Obviously, Dick read the book, and obviously it's stuff going on at the time, so there's a sort of anti-commercial theme running through this. So the big gorilla guy is is like that. The intellectual is not. Anyway, Brent goes to uh, the mansion. He sees a man and a woman, uh, beautiful, large people eating together. Uh, She's six feet tall, his size. the man said, just you know, nods and, and leaves. He leaves the two of them. Um, but she stays, and uh, he gets Randy thoughts and decides he's going to, uh, to have fun with her. Uh, she says uh, when it's clear that she is not capable of being physically overpowered. She has technology that can blast him away if she chooses to use it. Uh, but she nonetheless explains that he, she's okay with being intimate with him, but she has to, he has to realize that it will change him. He'll evolve and he'll evolve fast into what humanity was, is fated to become. He thinks it's well worth it. And uh, what we come to realize is that he has evolved into one of those large lion creatures. Uh, The last scene is her walking toward the ship and bidding Captain Johnson farewell while a large lion creature comes out and waves its fist, perhaps angrily, (laughs) at the ship as it goes away. Um, That capture the story more or less, as you call it? Yep. Um, Okay, so the reason that I prefer the head note that's internal to the one on the table of contents is because the one that's internal at least says he was bound to have a look mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was determined to do it. He didn't just sort of choose to do it. I mean, part of what's going on here, the moral, has to do with the fact that this guy is a brute. And just as in Ovid's Metamorphoses, beast-like people get turned into beasts. Yep. So, uh, so uh, I, I like that head note better, but... When you say that most people just sort of got it, what I would like to know, uh, my friend, is what is it they got? Uh, so uh, I, have, I have a friend I do a podcast with uh, fairly frequently when we do Philip K. Dick podcasts. Um, his name's Evan Lamp, and he, he did a really nice analysis of this story. And he, like me... Um, at least one time attacked it with a kind of sense of, I don't like this story. <laughs> and the reason I think people don't like it is because there's a, there's a secret that's, it's not so secret once you know, it, right. When you like, Oh yeah, of course. Um, but he never explicitly says what he's dealing with here. It's not just, uh, so Evan called it a ancient 
aliens uh, or ancient astronaut story is is usually how people put it. ancient astronauts the idea that the human beings evolution and all the great works of ancient history uh, all the inventions were actually aliens coming down to the earth and helping humanity right so that's why the pyramids right and i hate those stories too <laughs> and that's what this story is at least on the surface Oh, I didn't think that, but okay. Yeah, it, 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 there's a whole sequence where she talks about um, uh, seeing Nebuchadnezzar, you know, do this. and I, I understand that she talks about how she comes down at different times and that they've um, learned stuff from them at different times. But I didn't get the idea that, as in 2001, that every time humanity made a leap, it was because of the aliens. I just got the idea that from time to time, the aliens... Yeah, they, they they make it out like it's a stop on their their galactic yeah. route or something, rest stop yeah. sort of thing. Um, it, what's funny here is there's a tension between what it's presented as, which is a science fiction story. Um, it's in a magazine called Stories of Science and Fantasy. Um, it's presented as a science fiction. I thought it was story. an imagination. Uh, yes, uh, imagination subtitle is Stories of Science and Fantasy. Uh, subtitle. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a, a a a presentation of a rocket ship, an alien planet, some alien creatures that are similar to Earth-like creatures, and then she has a technology on her belt that she can, you know, uh, press him away when she doesn't want his groping attentions. Um, it's clearly a chastity belt. <laughs> it's interesting, right? But, um, but she chooses to use it rather than having some man put it on her. That's right. And that's uh, that's kind of what uh, one of the things he's dealing with. Okay, so I, I don't want to shy away from this much longer because I just think it's so important to, uh, for everybody to know. I, I was so excited when I discovered the secret of this story. Um, you know, I, I, I have a feeling this is the secret... I, I, we haven't discussed this before, Jesse, but I had it in my I had in my notes something that I think may be your secret, and I'm okay. dying to find out if this is what you had. Okay, so the secret of the story is that she is a particular person from human literature. <laughs> she is Circe well, from mythology. Yes, she is. Yeah, she's Circe, and the mansion that she met, that she has her. Her um the island that she has in the in the original story of the Odyssey I guess um it, it's actually a floating island that's casually mentioned um she she says she's brought humans to this world and then there's a final line from her saying with the other men all right um so the, the I think well there's another way you can figure that out oh by yes the way. absolutely her brother what's his name. Aetes, right? That was the key for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to look this guy up, and I'm like, oh, of course, right? Because <laughs> it all makes <laughs> sense. I mean, in a sense, I was thinking about how much it's like um, uh, Hansel Gretel as well, right? There's uh, a, a lady in the forest who's kind of dangerous. <laughs> She's a witch, right? Um, and she um, she potentially eats men. Um, it's it's curious in this story. Um, there's some differences between the original uh, tale of Circe and and the sailors, including I mean, num the number of sailors is reduced to two, right? In this story, it's it's kind of the Philip K. Dick has had to do a bunch of things in order to do what he wanted to do, which I'm I'm pretty convinced 
what he wanted to do is respond and answer his own questions that he had about the Circe myth. Um, so if we talk about what happens uh, in the, I believe it's book 10 of the Odyssey, um, Odysseus lands on the island, uh, Circe's island, and he divides his men into two groups. And they draw lots as to which one will go and do the explorations. Um, the one that stays behind is, is Odysseus's group. And the other that goes off and presumably is going to get eaten or something. Something bad's going to happen because every time they land on an island, something bad happens, right? Um, yeah. They go off and all but one of them are transformed into pigs. Um, but in the description of Circe's home and the forest surrounding it, it isn't just pigs that are there. In fact, the first animals encountered, just as in this story, are big cats, either uh, leopards or lions or what have you. And it always, when I read the Odyssey the first time, I always like was thinking, what I, one of the things I like about the Odyssey is it doesn't tell you the meaning. You have to sort of do your own interpretation. And of course, I think most people draw the conclusion that the reason that the men are turned into pigs is because they're quote unquote acting like pigs, right? They're uh, eating her out of house and home in a certain sense, right? And in that transformation uh, that we get in Hansel and Gretel, where uh, the witch uh, says, yes, come into my home, stop eating my home, come into my home and I'll serve you a nice meal. Uh, she no longer is a nice uh, host, she imprisons the uh, children. And in the same way, the sailors are transformed into pigs. They forget who they were, but they experience everything that they have, uh, everything that happens to them. So it's very explicit in trying to say, look, there's dangers out there. And that is, a, it's the first story, I think, where you've got uh, a femme fatale, right, um, who is a powerful woman who can control men. And the way it's solved in the original Odyssey is a god intervenes and says, look, when you go up to her house, you're going to have to do this, this, and this to avoid being ensnared in her trap. Don't drink her wine. As soon as she hands it to you, you take your knife, put it to her throat, and command her to uh, release your men. And he does that, and he's successful. There's no god to protect uh, Johnson or Brent here, or as I like to think of his name, Brunt, right? He's sort of the worst of, you know, hum humanity. When he envisions his his uh, community that he's going to, his property development on this planet, he, he describes it as, um, he says, if this place were closer to Terra, there'd be empty beer cans and plastic plates strewn around. The trees would be gone. There'd be old jet motors in the water. The beaches would stink to high heaven. Terran development would have a couple million little plastic houses set up everywhere. Um, and he doesn't see that as a problem. In fact, that's what he'd like to do. But he's going to make as much money as he can. He's, he starts making his plans, uh, all the things he's going to do to basically rape this planet. And then he stumbles across the, the house. It's occupied, right? This planet's already inhabited. And, and he plans to rape its, its owner too. And it always, it always bugged me. Like I wanted to know the answer to this question. I think that's what Philip K. Dick's written this story for. Were all the other animals, other than the pigs, men too? 
in Cersei's home? And I think Philip K. Dick's answer is, of course. And here's what uh, those those lions were, right? If Odysseus had been turned uh, t- turned into a uh, an animal, I don't think it would have been a pig. I think it would have been a fox, right? Because wily Odysseus, yeah, yeah, he's the wily one, right? Um, or a coyote or something, right? Uh, the idea that that um, what we're seeing here is a retelling of Circe's story to explore what it means. And and like uh, Homer, Dick doesn't say it means this. He's letting us do the interpretation. He doesn't have an answer, but he thinks that this is a way of thinking about what was going on in that original story. And I just think that that's a brilliant, brilliant thing. He's, he's mixing the ancient fantasy story or whatever it is myth mythology with uh the science fictional setting and and letting us do all the thinking about what what is how is this woman acting if she she's repulsed by or she literally repulses brent away but she also draws him in there's actually two sex scenes as far as i can tell in this story the first one uh right after he he attempts to rape her she asks for cigarettes and then there's a page break which i always take to mean scene change or time passing or point of view change and and then the next time we see her she's lying on a bunch of pillows and brent is like relaxing so there's that that sex scene and then there's another sex scene and she basically says yeah you sure you want to go through with this and he's like yeah definitely even though it's going to cost you i hope you don't regret it and she's sort of half sad and half happy about the fact that he 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 wants her right it's a very interesting story it it has a lot going on sorry well i agree with that it's interesting i think it does have a lot going on and um i i don't know whether i want whether i'm just disagreeing with you or i'm amending in my mind what you're saying, but I would point out some substantial differences and things worth thinking about from my viewpoint. In the Odyssey, Odysseus does um, come to terms with Circe um, at first, and then he lives with her for a year Mm -hmm. as as her lover. In fact, they come to a fine meeting of the minds, and when he leaves, he leaves with her blessing and forearmed by a prophecy about how he should proceed in order to be able to regain his own island kingdom, Ithaca. So what starts out as someone just sort of coming along, although she does, that is, Circe knows that he is going to arrive. She's been forewarned of this by her uncle Helios um, as the the unnamed uh, mistress of the mansion here knows that uh, Brent will come. Um, there's a meeting of the minds in the Odyssey, not here. Here, it's complete subjugation. That's one important difference. Mm-hmm. Second important difference is that Odysseus is trying to protect his men, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that a god will intervene, because Odysseus is, in fact, a fine person, whereas Brent is projected in this story as a commercial thug. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's an important difference. And so with those two differences, it seems to me that um, it's not enough to say that Dick is trying to figure out how to deal with the Cersei myth. I think he has modified it substantially. And then the question I come to is, why has he done it? And I find a possible answer in the title. Mm -hmm. This is the only place where we have a direct reference to Eden. Clearly, neither Brent nor Johnson, although Johnson is a slang for the male sexual member, clearly neither Brent nor Johnson is Adam to this unnamed woman's Eve. Clearly, this place is inhabited beforehand because Aetes is visiting and goes away, which is the case in the Odyssey as well. Aetes, who becomes king of Colchis, is free to travel, whereas um, Circe is exiled onto her island. Um, to call this a strange Eden, strange means foreign, not just unusual, but foreign. To call this a strange Eden, once you realize that it's a story, a version of the story of Circe, you can't help but ask, wait a minute, is, is this story proposing that Circe's island, where the animals all appear to be tame and the lion can lie down with the lamb, mm -hmm. that Circe's island is a version of eden yep that while the disobedience of man fostered by woman but it's man's disobedience um according to the king james bible gets us cast out of eden as punishment here when man cannot in fact assert his own authority the punishment is that he must stay. The punishment for violating this Eden is that you will be mother smothered. Mm -hmm. You will always be subject to woman. So in Eden, at least in the King James Bible, we know that the, the punishment for eating the apple, uh, once God realizes this and sequesters the fruit of the uh, apple of the tree of life, the, the punishment is childbirth, labor, and death. Well, childbirth is not something that a man can do. The punishment for violating the restrictions of Eden are childbirth, labor, and death. It's really the woman who bears the full force. Here, it's the man who bears the full force. He can become almost immortal, perhaps, because he's evolved, and we know that this unnamed woman and her kind are immortal. That is, they just keep renewing their cells all the time. Um, but there will be no childbirth, and there will be no labor. It will be indolence, and there will be nothing to do. What Brent wants when he goes off into this strange Eden is to kill something. Mm -hmm. He wants to be able to have to claim his own food or at least have sport. And now, because he has violated this through being allowed to perform the rape that he wants, he cannot kill. He cannot have sport. He cannot have children. It's a wonderful mirror image of Eden. Mm -hmm. And in a way, what I think Dick is suggesting is that the story of Circe is as universal as the story of Eden. And it's the same story. Mm -hmm. 
but we get it through a gender reversing mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's very interesting, and it it is a 1950s story. And so many of the stories in the science fiction magazines magazines in the 50s, you've got this this worry concern about the role of women, right? They're they're beautiful, they're beautiful, and they're powerful, and we should worry about this because they might be <laughs> our equals. <laughs> you get a lot of that. I, I I also love a lot of the detail in the writing. Um, birds come up a couple of times um, as sort of like uh, harbingers of the dangers to come. When he looks outside uh, the visit plate, you know, and he sees a couple of birds or bird-like creatures bouncing around in the in the uh, bushes, and then uh, the it, it it comes a couple of times, but. The more interesting um, animals are actually the cats, and she is a cat. She's live, and at one point, um, she's described as a uh, yeah. Here, here it is. She leaned back in her chair, yawned, stretched like a small live cat, then abruptly sprang to her feet, <laughs> just like a cat. And then there's another yep. one. Um, uh, here it is. Her long legs were tucked under her, tiny feet pressed together. She looked like a small, contented kitten resting after a game. <laughs> of course, that's Brent's viewpoint. Yep, but uh, it's also Dick's point uh, point of view. When he grabs her, uh, this is uh, a great, a great paragraph. Uh, also, it's rape, uh, essentially. Um, Nothing rape is great. Uh, Brent grabbed her. She fought wildly. He pinned her hands together behind her back with one paw, arched her body taut, and kissed her half-parted lips. She sank her tiny white teeth into him. He grunted and jerked away. She was laughing, black eyes dancing as she struggled. Her breath came rapidly, cheeks flushed, half-covered breasts quivering. This is Breasts show up four times in this story. This is definitely written by Philip Giddick. Body twisting <laughs> like a trapped animal. He caught her around her, the waist and grabbed her up in his arms. It's almost like he's having a fight with a cat, house cat, you know. And then what happens to him? He He's turned into a lion, which she, he, he, she tells him is going to essentially be what he will, his species will evolve into, which is interesting. But what kind of a lion? A tame lion, a domesticated lion. The fact that they're domesticated... That is that is the horror, right? Of a you know he's a brawny tough guy who's gonna go around killing animals, bragging about you know how they jumped out of the out of the bush, and he's gonna put that head up on the wall and and tell his captain that pansy about how tough he is, right? And now what happens to him? He's turned into a house cat. When Brent first sees, he's standing there and looking out at. Uh at the landscape. And then he, he sees that there is a, a path and figures that it's animals from the footprint. Mm-hmm. He says to Johnson, he says, I like it, meaning this landscape, a regular national park complete with wildlife. I think it's important to remember that a park occupies an interesting ontology It is neither the city, the built artificial environment of humanity, nor is it the wilderness, 
the place in which humanity is alien and endangered. A park is domesticated wildness. Mm -hmm. It is a completely human domain. It is a fiction. We make parks and they are places of resort. We go to them for refreshment because we don't want the risk of wilderness, but we do not allow ourselves to be continually ground down by the artifice of the environment we've built. He's happy to have come to a regular national park, Mm -hmm. complete with wildlife. What he doesn't realize is you can't live in the park. (laughs) Then you are domesticated. The wildness is all gone. It ceases to be a resort and it becomes your unrelenting residence. That's something he did not want. He did not contemplate because he brought to it the eyes of a 1950s man, I guess. And Dick realizes that this is something worth criticizing. You can read Circe in the Odyssey. You can read the story of Eden. But when someone with deep imagination comes along, even in a story apparently not his best to some readers, even in a popular genre, there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. Thank you.